God is our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Hi, and welcome to Journey Through the Word, a podcast that takes us through the scriptures, one book and one message at a time. I'm Jeff Gilbert, and I'll be your guide through the Bible to help you better understand God's Word, what He wants to teach us, and more about His Son, Jesus Christ. Chapter 8. In Acts chapter 7, we saw how uh, Stephen was the first martyr, and he was martyred at the hands of Saul. And immediately following that, there began a great persecution against the early Christians, the early church at that time. The persecution, oddly enough, came from the other religious people and not from, you know, you might think the government or outsiders, but that's not the case. The first persecution was really against the Jewish Christians from the Jewish religious people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin and people like Saul who thought they were doing God's work by going out and dragging people from their houses. And here it says that Saul uh, was going house to house and dragging the believers out of the house and sending them into prison. And during that time, he thought he was really doing the work of God. And, you know, I think we should remember, too, that Luke is writing the book of Acts here, and he's probably being told these stories by Paul later on. And he's going back and writing down the history of you know, as Paul explains it to him of what happened in the early church, because he's trying to write the continuation of the book of Luke here and send it to Theophilus, his, we think, who was his uh, teacher or master, or at least good friend. So when he's writing it, he refers to him here as Saul. And he knows him as Paul, but he's referring to him as Saul, because later God changes his name from Saul to Paul. But here Luke really makes it important to know that the persecution is being carried out by Saul because, you know, even someone who does something so horrible as Paul did, God completely transformed his life. And later on, when Paul gets saved, his name is changed from Saul to Paul. So it talks about the great transformation of a person's life. Here, however, the church is going undergoing heavy persecution. People are being killed. People are being sent to prison. And the word of God is actually being dispersed as people are kind of fleeing the persecution in their time. And people like Philip are leaving Jerusalem and going into the countryside. And in the book of, in the chapter 8 here, he goes into Samaria, which is the northern part of Israel in that day, outside of Judah or outside of Jerusalem, the immediate Jerusalem area. So you see, the persecution and the suffering actually, and God turned it for a benefit for the church because it spread the gospel more and more. And you know, I think the same could be true for us. It doesn't have to be persecution. But when we go through really hard times, you know, any trial that comes our way, whatever it may be, jobs or family or illness, when those things come, we turn our face more sincerely towards God. We pray more earnestly. We need him more than ever. And we also see his deliverances and his ability to help us and to, you know, work out those hard times for us. And the benefit is that we turn to God and our faith grows during those times. So nobody likes to see the difficult times come, but God certainly turns them into a benefit. 
So chapter 8 goes on to talk about Philip and how he went into Samaria. Now Samaria is the northern kingdoms of Israel. So in the Old Testament, back in Solomon's day, when he, when he died, the kingdoms were split between Judah and the other 11 kingdoms, the other 11 tribes. So it was Israel and Judah. Israel, those 11 tribes, um, were completely separate. They often warred against Judah. And later on, when they were all carried away into captivity, in Samaria, a lot of the, you know, we would say the poorer people, the sicker people, the older, the feeble, were left behind in the Samaria region. And so they began to intermarry while all of the other Jews were away in Babylon in exile. They began to intermarry with the other people in the, the, the Gentiles in the area. And they were known as Samaria, Samaritans or Samarians. And when they intermarried, they changed the faith. They spoke and wrote in Aramaic. They worshipped on a different mountain than the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And, uh, you know, they just did things completely different. They even built a temple there eventually, which later the Jews went on to destroy. But, you know, those people were never really considered, you know, complete Jews or real Jews by the, the Jews in those days who were in Jerusalem. And that's why when Jesus did a couple of things in the New Testament, one, he, he stopped and he spent time at the well in Samaria, as he was going through Samaria, and he talked to the Samaritan woman there and talked to her about living water and how, what was the condition of her life. And she accepted him as the Messiah, and she went into the town and told others, and many of them believed as well. Now that's really incredible, because Jesus came to save the whole world, but he took time out for just that one woman at the well that day. And I'm sure people are wondering, why in the world would he stop to talk to her? You know, they're not really Jewish. They don't even talk or believe like we do. Another good example is when he gives the parable of the Good Samaritan. And he talks about a person who's fallen upon by thieves and left for dead. And along comes the religious person, along comes the lawyers, and none of them stop to help. They all cross over to the other side of the street. And then he says, along came a Samaritan. And of course, the people would have thought, oh, the Samaritan, he'll never stop and help that person. And yet Jesus in his parable tells him that that's the one who stopped to pick him up, put him on his, his beast, and took him to the inn and took care of him. So Jesus was showing, by example and by parable, that the gospel wasn't you know, isolated only to those Jewish people and the people who followed him in Jerusalem, but it was going to be open and accepted by people outside of their, their immediate group. In Philip, here is an example, he goes into Samaria, and he's preaching the gospel. He's performing miracles. People are getting saved. And it said all the people were filled with great joy. Let me ask you a question. How many people do you meet today who are filled with great joy? Well, you could say, well, happiness. Things make us happy. Sometimes we do something that it makes us happy. But the problem with those happiness, that feelings, nothing wrong with it, but they're fleeting. They go away. But joy, how many people say, I am so filled with joy? Because joy is something that only comes from God. It's something that wells up within us and it overflows from us. And it's something that only the believer has because it comes from God's Holy Spirit. You know, if you want joy, this is where you find it, at the feet of Jesus.
His Holy Spirit can bring real joy to your life. And it says here in chapter 8 that there was great joy. Boy, isn't joy great? <laughs> Not only is it great joy, but joy is great. I love joy. I love to wake up and be filled with joy. I just, you know, there's nothing like having joy. It shines and radiates. And people say, "Why, boy, you seem different today. You seem happy. You seem upbeat. And they don't know that the, the joy that we exude or that flows out from us is the joy that comes from the Holy Spirit. Along with those people, there's a guy here. He's not such a great guy. He's a magician. We can't judge him because, frankly, he wasn't a follower of God anyway. He was doing magic tricks and lots of people followed him for his ability to fool and deceive. But he also listened to Philip and he began to accept what he, what he was saying. Lots of people there began to believe on Jesus and they were baptized in water. And the apostles heard about what was going on in Samaria. So a couple of them went up and to visit and to see what was happening. And when they saw the people there, they laid hands on them. You know, they prayed so that they could be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now we know when a person is baptized in the Holy Spirit, there were always signs. There were miracles. There was speaking in tongues. There was prophecies, visions. All kinds of things could happen when people were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And Simon at the time was thinking, wow, that's like the ultimate magic trick. I would love to have the power to do that. So, you know, just like a magician might pay another magician for a magic trick today. Wow, you cut that person in half. Show me how you do it and I'll pay you. And then they keep it completely secret because it's worth a lot of money. Simon was willing to pay them to learn this magic trick. And they said to him, you know, your silver perish with you, Simon. And this is wickedness. And you need to repent of this bitterness and this horror that's in your heart. The real problem here, because we could say, well, he was a new believer, he didn't understand. But the real problem is the combination of the mixture of wealth and the blessings from God. So when you see today people who are professing to be Christians or you see famous speakers today, they go, you can see them anywhere on TV or in concert or anywhere. They're making a lot of money. And I'm not talking about a little bit of money. They're flying in private jets and wearing thousands of dollars of suits. These are guys just like Simon. They might have started to understand things about Jesus, but they're in it for money. These are really people who are going to perish with their wealth because they're not spreading the gospel. They're not doing things to teach people about the love and kindness and forgiveness of Jesus. They're doing it to, to put money in their own pockets. And they'll come up with excuses. Well, you know, where the prophet is worthy of his hire, the laborer is worthy of his hire. They'll, they'll say different things only to prove to you that it's okay for them to have hundreds of millions of dollars and not for you. So anyway, this is a really clear-cut case where gaining wealth from the gospel and, you know, being used by God, do not mix very well. Now, does that mean a believer can't have money? No, that's not it at all. You know, there can be, you can have lots of wealth, I suppose, if you're a believer. In this case, it was, you know, the idea that they're making money from the gospel. So they, they told him that he, he, couldn't, um, he couldn't have this power. It was something only given from God and that he needed to repent. Now we go into a story about Philip in the eunuch. So Philip 
Is he an apostle? No, he's a deacon. So like Stephen, he's really being used by God. He's preaching the gospel. People are getting saved. People are being baptized in water. And when the apostles came to follow up, those people were being baptized in the Holy Spirit. So Philip, who was responsible for material things, remember the deacons were raised up to take care of the material goods, the widows who were lacking. He's really being used by God. So don't think that the station that God has called you to say, oh, I just attend church, or I'm just a singer, or a Sunday school teacher, or a guitar player. Don't think that God doesn't want to use you in real power, because he does. And many times I've seen people who do the simplest things be so used by God, and the power of God and the love of God really flows through those people, and it has a greater effect than some of the messages I've heard. So Philip goes from there, he goes because there's a guy, he's a eunuch, traveling along in his carriage, and he's reading in the Old Testament, but he doesn't understand anything. And the scripture that he opened up to was not by chance. It was a scripture that was talking about Jesus. It says about Jesus, and now this was from the book of Isaiah, so he's reading from the Old Testament, we know as the Old Testament, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, who, who, is the, who are they talking about? Who is the prophet talking? Is he talking about himself? Is he talking about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. So, you know, our opportunity to tell people about Jesus can come in the most surprising moments. You know, Philip was talking, you know, to anybody who would listen when he was talking to the Samaritans. But here, he's taken to the road here, on the road, where the eunuch is in his carriage, traveling along. He invites Philip to come up and sit with him. He just happens to be talking about the Bible he just happens to be talking about a scripture that refers to Jesus. And he just happens to be extremely curious about what the prophet was talking about. What an open door for Philip to evangelize. People say he was a great evangelist, but really, God laid all of that groundwork and Philip just showed up at the right time. And that's the same way today. We don't have to work hard for evangelism because God prepares the soil of the heart. He leads us to those people. And at those times, we need to be bold and tell them about Jesus. They're inquisitive. They're, they're interested. They're needy. And they want to know what the truth is. And so here, Philip was able to expound to him all about Jesus and what he did. But more importantly than that was the effect that it, the words had on this eunuch, who was a wealthy man, right? He was, he was a, you know... I won't say he was famous, but he was a, a public figure and, and had wealth. And Philip evangelized him, and he goes, what's to keep me from being baptized right now? And they stopped the carriage. He took him out, and he baptized him right there next to, the, next to the road where there was some water. Imagine evangelizing that way. Well, that's how God wants to use us. He wants us to be prepared. He wants us to know what to say. And he wants to lead us to people 
who need and who are ready to hear about Jesus and the plan that Jesus has for their life and the salvation that he has for their life. So Philip was greatly used. And he took him down, baptized him, and then Philip disappeared. It said the eunuch looked around, he was gone. So this was a miracle where Philip was instantly, somehow, today we would say, transported. Or some people used to say he was translated, you know. He disappeared and he appeared somewhere else. And in this case, he appeared uh, and he went down to Caesarea after that. He was in the town of Azotus. So it's amazing the way that Philip, who was, you know, we could say who was only a deacon, was so used by God. And, you know, God wants to use us. And, you know, maybe you're one of these people who is interested in knowing about Jesus. Well, talk to him and he'll make himself known to you. Ask him to send someone your way and to share the good news with you because you're needy too. Or if I can help you, I'd be happy to share the good news in any way and answer questions you might have. God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble.